0: Okay, so if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Genesis chapter 33. We're going to continue looking at uh, uh, this uh, episode that we've seen with Jacob uh, and his dealings with both God and now we're about to see with Esau. Um, throughout, this, uh, throughout this section, if you hear me um, coughing or sniffling a little bit, you'll have to forgive me. I've got kind of a sinus thing going on today. So um, it shouldn't be much of a problem. But if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, as we begin looking at chapter thirty-three, um, it, it's important that you realize that chapter thirty-three is actually a—it's actually a continuation of, of thirty-two. Uh, the last time we looked at Genesis, we saw that Jacob wrestled through the night with God, and it was because of his weakness and his clinging to God in defeat that he. Uh, that he said to have prevailed over both God and man. We saw that last time in Genesis chapter thirty-two. Jacob uh, received a blessing from God uh, there at Peniel, and he and he also received a new name. If you remember, he he was from then would be called Israel. And, uh, it's important for us to note that Jacob is now, um, he's forever changed by his encounter with God. He, he's going to walk with a limp and be hobbled for the rest of rest of his life because of, uh, because of his wrestling match with God. Uh, no one has an encounter with the Holy God without being changed, but although he has met God, he has met God in, in in chapter 32 and he has been changed by God. Um, as we're going to see, we're also going to witness here in this chapter and throughout the rest of Jacob's life that there is still there is still Jacob inside of inside of Israel. What I mean by that is, though Jacob's been re- renamed and, and remade as Israel, he, he's not perfected. He's not a sinless person yet. He's uh, he's going to still battle with the flesh and with fear and with obeying God. Uh, we're going to see this struggle continue through the rest of his life Uh, it's something that you and I we really have to understand even though we've been born again the New Testament is also clear that that we will always battle with the world with the flesh with the with the devil throughout this life a battle with our own sin Uh, the battle never ends our enemies never take a break and they don't stop jacob is he's going to experience this in this chapter he is truly israel now he has truly been changed so i want to stress that he truly loves his family and he is truly repentant about what he did to his brother esau but uh he will still only halfway obey god by the by the end of this chapter and he will he's going to out and out lie to esau for some reason as we're going to see so uh, before we get into it let's let's before we look at all that um, let's uh, let's look at Jacob, the man God has changed in the beginning of this chapter. He, we're going to see Jacob as a changed man. He's going to be uh, different than uh, than what we've seen before. But as we go further and further into the chapter, we're also going to see that the old man starts popping back up again. And so it's this constant battle back and forth. So remember the last chapter, we we just left Jacob after he has wrestled with God. He's, he's hobbled, but he's been blessed and he's now bearing a new name. And so uh, chapter 33 opens up verse one, it says, and Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So immediately Jacob looks up and sees Esau coming with his 400 men. Now, uh, because we've read this chapter of Genesis before you and I know that Esau is not going to kill Jacob uh, really even if you haven't read the chapter before y- you should know that God's going to protect his promise and he's going to preserve his seed uh, but Jacob surely doesn't know this yet he is um, he's still assuming that Esau is coming to kill him and, and to be honest, I mean I believe I believe that Esau has every intention of killing Jacob when he set out from his homeland with those with those 400 men. Uh, I think that's true. Uh, for uh, well, for a couple of reasons. Later in this chapter, Esau is going to offer to leave some of his men with Jacob for protection. Uh, so these weren't just servants. These weren't just regular guys that Esau uh, um, you know got together uh, to be a welcoming party. These were these were warriors. These were uh, men that were able to give protection. Uh, Esau was coming with 400 soldiers to come to Jacob, and that means that Esau wasn't just you know he wasn't just throwing out the welcome mat. He wasn't going just to just to meet him and say hey you know we've missed you he had murder on his mind he was he was taking enough men to get the job done no matter who jacob had with him he took more men with him here than abraham took to fight the five armies that had kidnapped lot earlier in genesis so jacob looks up and he sees a battle-hardened army coming toward him and his family i mean what would you expect him to think jacob is he's thinking exactly what you and i would be thinking and he had good reason to do so jacob understands the danger that he's in and he is in real danger. Uh, so he really, he does really the only thing he can do. He separates his family into groups and he puts himself in between them and Esau. This is, let me read the rest of verse one and then read verses two and three as well. It says, so he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front. Then Leah with her children, And Rachel and Joseph, last of all, he himself went on before them bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So, first of all, I mean, it's it's obvious to anybody reading the text, if you've got the text in front of you, that Jacob is still, he's still wrapped up in his favoritism. He still loves Rachel and Joseph more than more than the rest of the family. Uh, this reminds me of Isaac's favor of Esau and Rebecca's favor of Jacob. Uh, this is what Jacob has known. Favoritism just seems like it runs in the family. So, Jacob separates his family by what it looks like to me to be the order of importance. I mean, he puts the two handmaids and their sons out front. Presumably they would be the ones to catch the brunt of Esau's attack. Then he put Leah and her children next. And finally he lets Rachel and Joseph take up the rear. Now we know that Joseph holds a special place in his heart because, well, we know that because, uh, you know, Rachel is his preferred wife. But in this text, Joseph is the only son that is mentioned. Everyone, everyone else just says uh, Leah and her children, the servants and their children. Uh, this kind of sounds like the same old Jacob that we've always known. But, but then he does something very uncharacteristic of the Jacob that we've come to know. He, he himself gets out in front and puts himself between uh, all his clan and Esau. Uh, He goes ahead in front of them so that he will be the first person that Esau comes across. Now, remember earlier in uh, a previous chapter, in the last chapter, first part of the last chapter, uh, Jacob sent out the servants, didn't he? He sent out the servants with the flocks so that they would come across Esau first, you know, and maybe, you know, he he might have been thinking he could. You know dissuade some of his anger by giving him those flocks and letting those servants say uh, these are for my lord from your servant jacob but here you see a different jacob now jacob himself is out front he is the one that's going to get esau is going to get to him before he gets to the rest of his family Uh, and he doesn't just go ahead of the pack he goes ahead of them bowing down before esau the text says that he bowed seven times remember Jacob is still crippled in his leg. He's still hobbled. He he bows to the ground before his brother Esau. And this bowing ought to remind you of something. You remember what Isaac told Jacob when he stole the blessing? Uh, when Jacob stole the blessing from Esau? Part of the blessing that Jacob received in Genesis 27, verse 29, Isaac said, May your mother's sons bow down to you. But here you have Jacob himself. Uh, he doesn't assume Esau is going to be bowing down to him because that's what his father promised him. That's the blessing he received. Instead, he takes the initiative and completely seven times bows down before Esau. And, and we're going to see again that Jacob's going to call Esau his Lord. Uh, and what this should show you, what it should remind you of and illustrate for you is not just that Jacob is scared and that he's doing all he can to humble himself so Esau won't kill him. You know, of course, that's part of it. But we are supposed to remember the blessing here. Jacob is not just being humble. Jacob is repenting before Esau for stealing from him and deceiving him out of the blessing. It's almost like Jacob is doing everything exactly opposite of of what he stole of the blessing that was promised to him he gave all those animals in droves which would uh, have equaled the inheritance of his father to esau and now instead of his brothers bowing down to him as was promised to him by isaac's blessing he is bowing down before his brother so what you see here in effect is you see the effect of a heart that has met God. Jacob has prevailed against God by submitting to Him. We saw that in the last chapter. Jacob's been changed, but the one thing that is always produced when God changes a heart is a it's a longing to be right with your brother. Uh, you see this over and over again in the New Testament as well. John said that if anyone says he loves God and hates his brother, he's a liar. But more than that, Jacob knows that he has sinned. He has sinned against Esau. He knows that he's wronged his brother by lying, stealing, and getting the blessing. Uh, he is genuinely repentant and seeking to make things right with Esau. He's not just humbling himself, hoping to make a good show and get his life spared. He is trying to undo the wrong that he has done to Esau. When God convicts a man, Or woman of sin and regenerates their heart, that man is made right with God and he has a supernatural desire inside him to make things right with those whom he has wronged. Uh, That's part of being born again. That's what we see here. Jacob, he still separates his family, but he places himself in between them and Esau. And he shows Esau that he is willing to undo what he has done to him. The blessing was your brothers will bow down to you. And Jacob takes the initiative to bow down to his brother. And it's here that Jacob once again is going to see the power of God in action. In verse four, it says, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Now, here's the thing. We, We don't exactly know when Esau decided to forgive Jacob. Um, Perhaps it was when he passed all those animals, you know, and Jacob's servants told him, you know, that they were a gift for you. Maybe it was when he rode up and saw Jacob bowing down and realized that Jacob was uh, truly repentant and he was uh, in opposition to the blessing that he received, bowing down to Esau rather than expecting Esau to bow down to him. Uh, We can't really know for sure, but I can't help but think that Esau left his camp ready to kill Jacob with those 400 men. If Esau had already forgiven Jacob and you know set out from his camp, set out from his home to go and to meet him and to hug him and kiss him, why in the world would he take 400 soldiers with him? Why not just take a welcoming committee? No, Esau had his mind set on revenge when he let out uh, of his camp. But once again, God intervened and moved upon Esau's heart. Uh, This is an amazing turn of events to me. You see, God told Jacob to head home from Laban's house. Remember, God promised Jacob that he would be safe and he would be the father of a multitude. So it's no wonder that God worked all this out so that Esau would no longer be a threat to Jacob. But what's astounding to me is that We see here that that God has worked in the heart and the mind of an unregenerate unbeliever for Jacob's sake. He worked in Esau's heart for Jacob's sake. It, it, It really backs up what Paul says in Romans when he says, If God be for you, who can be against you? He truly, God truly works all things for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Those who bear the promise of God are truly they're truly cared for by his faithfulness to that promise. There's no enemy in heaven or earth that can undo God's promise. So God here mo- moves on the heart of Esau. And instead of killing Jacob and acting on the revenge that he has been probably harboring for 20 years, he falls on his neck and kisses him. They weep together uh, because of the years that have gone by and the strife between him and all those things. And what you see here is God has, in this moment answered the prayer that jacob prayed in genesis 32 11 remember that prayer jacob right before he wrestled with god jacob's prayer was simply this genesis 32 11 please deliver me from the hand of my brother from the hand of esau for i fear him that he may come and attack me the mothers with their children god answered jacob's prayer so verses five and seven five five through seven Here in Genesis 33 says, and when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given, notice that, graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. The servants are the two handmaidens. Leah, likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Jacob's prayer has been answered Esau is not here to kill him But in this little exchange You see that Jacob is still He's still walking very softly here When Esau looks he asks Who are these people And Jacob answers Hey these are the ones that God has given me." Now that it just we, we read over that so cavalierly sometimes we've read it so many times but throughout the old testament you'll see for the most part that children are seen as a blessing from god they're called a blessing from god over and over and over again through the psalms through the proverbs and, and people are said to be blessed with many children now, in fact that's part of the blessing that was promised to abraham and isaac remember uh, lots and lots of children you know a seed innumerable as many as the stars in the sky that was the blessing that they were to receive but Jacob doesn't use the word blessing the Hebrew words barakah here he doesn't use that word uh, he, instead he says these are the children God has given me has graciously given me instead of blessed me with um, I wonder why he says it that way I might be I might be reading a little too much into it granted but uh, you know, we can't be absolutely sure, but I think that he is tailoring his language so as not to offend Esau. He's still walking softly. If he starts throwing the word blessing around, you know, this is the God has blessed me. Look at these children. Uh, if he's going to start reminding Esau of the blessing, uh, that might remind Esau of the blessing that he stole. If Jacob starts flaunting and it starts flaunting the blessing from God, that may rekindle Esau's anger because of the blessing Jacob stole. Um, Esau might start thinking. All these children were supposed to be my blessing. Uh, It just seems to me like Jacob is choosing his words very carefully, very wisely to avoid, you know, rekindling Esau's past feelings. He's walking on thin ice is what he probably thinks. Uh, And so and then Jacob's family, of course, we read the text. One at a time, they present themselves humbly before Esau. They, just like Jacob, just like their father, bowed before Jacob's older brother. So not just the brother bowed down to the brother, but the brother's clan, the brother's family bowed down to Esau here. So in verse 8, it says, Esau said, What do you mean by all the company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. Pay real close attention to the text. To find favor. What do you mean? What is all these people that I passed? What is all these flocks and these herds that I passed on the way here? And Jacob answered, In order to find favor in the sight of my Lord. It seems like he's saying, I gave them in order to find favor with you. Esau asks him where they were. And and remember, of course, in the last chapter, we saw Jacob separated three different droves of animals and sent them before uh, before his uh, family to pass by Esau. And the servants were to say that these were offered to Esau from his servant Jacob. Uh, And so Esau asks about them. And uh, from here to the end of the chapter, let me just say this. We're going to find various interpretations about all the details of what's going on here. I may spend a little time telling you the different viewpoints about what's happening, but I'm not going to go into great detail exp- explaining everyone else's viewpoint. I'm simply going to tell you what I think is happening with the understanding right up front that we cannot exactly be dogmatic about um, about the interpretation of these events. Um, Esau has asked about the animals. Jacob first says that basically he says they're an offering to make up for what he has done. He flat out tells Esau, I gave all those animals to you so that I could find favor in your sight. Jacob is repentant, but it almost sounds like he is offering the flocks to make up for what he's done. Uh, There are some that would say that he's trying to give the inheritance back. Others would say, no, that's not what's happening. He's just trying to make up for what, you know, to uh, make up for what he did. Whatever the case, Esau turns down the animals. Uh, Verse nine says, but Esau said, I have enough. My brother, keep what you have for yourself. So God really has done a number on Esau's heart. He is, uh, being magnanimous and generous to Jacob it is truly as if Esau has forgiven Jacob from the heart he doesn't seem to hold any hidden grudge against his brother and he's satisfied because he himself has uh, has prospered in the land of Edom that's where that's where Esau uh, lives the land of Edom is named after him so in verse 10 11 says Jacob said no please if I have found favor in your sight then accept my present from accept my present from my hand this gift from my hand for now this is what Jacob says for I have seen your face which is like seeing the face of God and you have accepted me please accept my blessing there he uses the word blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough uh, because I have enough thus he urged him and he took it <clears throat> now here is why i think that The first exchange was Jacob trying to make up for what he did. He changes his language here. Instead of saying, I gave them to you in order to find favor, he says to Esau, if I have found favor, then take them. So Jacob realizes that Esau's favor is that he's given his grace, the same word as favor, is not contingent on the flocks that Jacob offered him. What I mean by that is Esau gave him forgiveness Freely, And because Jacob has found favor in Esau's sight, now Jacob offers him the flocks as not a gift to make up for what he did, but a gift of thanksgiving. It's not an offer or a sacrifice to pay for what he's done. There's a difference. I hope you can see that the first offer was a payoff. It was uh, to balance the scale. The second was a gift thanking him for the forgiveness that Jacob already received. Jacob makes this clear. (coughs) Excuse me. When he says, For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. This doesn't mean that, that it doesn't mean that Esau's face looks like God or that he, you know, has a heavenly glow or something like that. Uh, remember, Jacob has just finished wrestling with God, and he named the place Peniel, where he wrestled with God, because he said there he saw the face of God and lived. What he means is that Esau's actions in the encounter that he has with Esau resemble the actions of God when Jacob met him just like the man that wrestled with Jacob Esau has embraced and accepted Jacob just like God accepted Jacob Jacob was terrified for the last 2 chapters to see the face of his brother Esau but now that he has seen his face Esau has accepted him. So when Jacob wrestled with God and was renamed, God said, you've striven with God and man and prevailed. Jacob has now prevailed over Esau because he has been made right with God. If God be for you, who can be against you? Jacob. He begs Esau to take these flocks because he has demonstrated forgiveness. And Jacob wants to thank him. Did you notice the word Jacob uses here that he didn't use earlier? Jacob says, please accept my blessing. Jacob uses the word blessing now because it is he who wants to give Esau his blessing. So he is He uses the word blessing to demonstrate that he is giving Esau the blessing that Esau was supposed to get from his father. Whether Esau takes it because of the way Jacob has presented it or whether he is just being polite, uh, Esau accepts the gift from Jacob. So what you see overall so far is that you see God has worked in Jacob's heart, and this is not the same man that we have seen over and over again. He is truly repentant. He is not just repentant, but he is trying to make up for what he has done. He's trying to right the wrong that he has done to his brother, and you've seen God work in Esau's heart. He left camp with 400 men to kill Jacob, and somewhere on the path toward uh, meeting with Jacob, just like God appeared to Laban and stopped him from his murderous rampage, God intervened in some way with Esau and he caused Esau instead to come and embrace him, to kiss him, to forgive him. So, so far in this, in this chapter, we have seen Jacob behave like a promise bearer. He's acting and speaking as if he is God's man, a representative of one who stands for God. He has truly been changed and there can be no doubt about that. But just like us today, Jacob is still Jacob. Although he's been changed by God and will, from now on, bless the Lord, serve him, he is by no means perfect. In the latter part of this chapter, we're going to see some very strange behavior coming from Jacob that begins, uh, it begins to make you wonder about him. Uh, What this demonstrates is that Jacob is, he's really a walking contradiction He's just like us. He is. He's justified and holy before God, but he still acts in sin. He still stumbles and falls. He still does things that are just incredibly stupid and are, are, it's going to cause his family. What happens next is going to cause his family unimaginable pain. But, you know, we'll, we'll get to that in the next chapter verse 12 through 14 says then esau said let us journey on our way and i will go ahead of you but jacob said to him my lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me if they're driven hard for one day all the flocks will die let my lord pass on ahead of his servant and i will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir, he says, until I come to you, Esau, in Seir, that was the place where Esau lived in Edom. So look at what happened here. First, Esau offers to go ahead of Jacob and presumably to give him protection with his 400 men. That's what he wanted. Uh, Sounds like a good plan. But Jacob declines. There are There are some people who say that Jacob is just simply trying to part ways with Esau in the most polite way possible. Uh, I guess that's possible, but Jacob makes up this story about the flocks and herds. They can't be driven at a hard pace. Uh, I don't really know if that is true or not. Uh, Really, to be honest, it doesn't make much sense. Why can't Esau just slow down? I don't know. Uh, But the reason I think Jacob is making up this story is because he flat out lies about coming to Esau in Seir, uh, he tells Esau to go on ahead, and he will come to him in Seir, which is part of Edom. That's Esau's homeland. But we're going to see that Jacob doesn't go to Seir. In fact, I don't think Jacob has any intention of going to Edom at all. God told him to return to the land of his father, and that's where Jacob's going. So why is Jacob lying? Why? What? Why is he? Why is he saying these things? After all, we have just seen this chapter. We don't know. I don't know. We don't no one knows for sure. There are some people who say that Jacob actually did go to Seir, but Genesis tells us absolutely nothing about that. And I find that a little hard to believe. But whatever the reason, the point is the point that's being made is that Jacob, although he has been changed and is demonstrating the repentance and, and the humility of a man who knows he has done wrong, he still has a ways to go in growing in his faith. I mean, is he still afraid of Esau? I don't know. Is he is he unsure that if he if he hangs out with Esau too long, that Esau's going to change his mind and kill him? I don't know. Uh, does he think Esau is trying to trick him? There's no way to know for sure. But more than likely, something like that is true. <coughs> Esau agrees with him, <coughs> he says, OK, you know, we won't go ahead of you. Uh, but he offers to leave some in there with Jacob to protect him verse 15 and 16 say so Esau said well let me leave with you some of the people who are with me and then Jacob says but he said what need is there let me find favor in the sight of my Lord and so Esau returned that day on his way to Seir so they part company and it seems that as far as Esau thinks Jacob is on his way to Seir Jacob is on his way to Edom to stay with Esau to hang out with Esau spend time with Esau I mean, that's what Jacob told him he was going to do, but that's not what Jacob does. As soon as Esau is out of sight, Jacob hightails it in the other direction. Verse 17 says, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house And made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Jacob goes to a particular place and builds some temporary booths or houses there for himself. And that's why the place is named Succoth, because that means booths in Hebrew. Uh, but, But wait a minute. Jacob didn't go to Seir. But then again, he really didn't go where God told him to either. When God first appeared to Jacob and gave him the promise, remember it was at Bethel and God told Jacob that he would be with him and would bring him back to this land. He said he would, he would come back to Bethel. And when God appeared to Jacob at Laban's house and told him to go back to his father's land, he said, I am the God of Bethel. Why didn't Jacob go back to Bethel? Once again, don't really know for sure but it gets even more complicated than that he was commanded to go back to his father to his father's land to his father isaac's land why did he go back to why didn't he go back to his father's household when he returned to the promised land sucketh is in the promised land right on the edge he's about to cross over into shechem which is in the promised land once again i don't know why he didn't go back to his father's land i know what you're probably thinking i mean well dang what do we know about this uh, regardless of the exact reason why, we know that Jacob did not completely obey God. He obeyed him partly, because he did go back to the land of Canaan. But he did he didn't go to either place that God had commanded. Jacob may have thought, you know, he may have thought, well, this is good enough. You know, this place is as good as any. Uh, I mean, don't we often think like that? We obey God's command only as far as we think it's appropriate or sufficient. Uh, And there are times that God commands us to do something or forgive someone, and we go halfway and things seem to get better, but we don't go all the way. Jacob decides that he's going to go back to the land, but he will go back to the part of the land that he thinks best, not where God has told him to go. And we don't exactly know why. He stays in Succoth for a short time and then heads to a place called Shechem. Just the mention of the name Shechem would bring horrible thoughts to the minds of any Israelite that's reading this text. And we'll see why in the next chapter. Verse 18 says, and Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan on his way from Padan Aram, and he camped before the the city. Now, depending on which translation you're reading from, you may miss the significance of what we just read. Literally, when it says he camped before the city, it says he pitched his tent before the city. Does that remind you of anyone that we have seen in Genesis up to this point? That is exactly Word for word, what is said of Lot, who pitched his tent before the city of Sodom. So what we see here is that Jacob did what God told him to do up to a point. He went where he desired rather than where God desired. And I don't mind telling you this decision is going to cause unimaginable grief in his family uh, in the next chapter. In the next chapter, Jacob's daughter is going to be raped. His sons are going to go on a murderous killing spree throughout the city just because Jacob decided. Not to obey God completely But but we'll get there next time So finally The last two verses read And from the sons of Hamor Shechem's father He bought for a hundred pieces of money The piece of land on which he pitched his tent There he erected an altar And called it El Elohi Israel Jacob buys a plot of land You know from the tribe That's there uh, and They're going to play a major part in the next chapter And look what pious Jacob does. Although he doesn't obey God completely as he has come back to the land, he builds an altar. And he names it El Elohi Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. So Jacob plants an altar and presumably offers sacrifice to the God of Israel there. But so often in the Old Testament, we read that God desires obedience more than sacrifice. And that's the one thing Jacob didn't do. He lied to Esau. He didn't return exactly where God told him to. And I hope you've noticed something as I've been reading the text throughout this chapter. It's something that I thought about bringing to your attention at the beginning of this chapter, but I saved it to the end. At the, end, um, at the end of this chapter, Jacob names the altar after the God who changed his name. Did you see it? In Jacob's mind, he is serving God, the God of Israel. God, the God of not Jacob, but Israel. He has called him Jacob. But God, I mean, God has called him Israel. But throughout this entire chapter, the author of Genesis has not once called him Israel. Have you noticed that? He's called him Jacob through this whole chapter, even though it was in the last chapter that God said, your name will no longer be Jacob. Remember that? The only time Israel, the word Israel, the name Israel is used in this chapter is when Jacob uses it of himself. The writer of Genesis, Moses, does not call him Jacob, uh, does not call him Israel throughout this whole chapter, even though God said, your name will no longer be Jacob. It's Israel. Why? Because we see that Jacob, in some sense, even though he's changed, even though he's repented, even though God has changed his heart, he still is more than capable of acting like a Jacob and not an Israel. So what you see here is really a walking contradiction. You have a man who has been changed. There's no doubt about that. You have a man who is broken. He's repentant. There's no doubt about that. You have a man who has is being protected and watched over by God and one who bears the promise of God, there's no doubt about that but you also have a man who still has a sinful nature inside of him. You have a man who is still capable to do what he wants rather than what God wants. You have a man who is still at war with his flesh. Jacob is a walking contradiction. He's justified, but at the same time, he's still a sinner. That is exactly who we are as born again believers. We are still sinful, still battling the flesh, still capable of doing wrong and messing up horribly. We are still capable of destroying our family with sin uh, that's going to happen in the next chapter by the way but there is there's also something else there is a righteousness there that has been given to us by another. There is a perfection that we stand in, one that God sees us in, not because we're perfect or sinless or because we don't never ever do anything wrong again, but because we have been forgiven and changed by the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, it's coming up uh, of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation here in a few days. Uh, and what we see in this text is what Martin Luther called simul justice et peccator, which means simultaneously justified just and a sinner sinners forgiven by grace this should make you think it shouldn't make you think that sin is okay if all of this text about uh being both a sinner and being justified if if jacob's circumstances here make you think that well you know we all sin so it's all good don't worry about it we can sin as much as we want paul would disagree with you he says uh shall we continue in sin that grace may abound He says, god forbid um Jacob and his family are going to pay an excruciating price because of this sin, this decision that he makes in the next chapter. Sin always brings consequences with it, but it should give us assurance that our status before God does not depend on our performance, but it, it depends on the Christ who has performed for us and justified us.